0: You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, March 14th. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. When the Sitka Assembly meets tonight, it will likely establish a tourism task force that will be tasked with looking into the recent surge in tourism. If it passes, the nine-member group would investigate whether Sitka can or should limit cruise traffic, develop a review cycle for the city's tourism operations, and create a tourism best practices program. When the idea was broached at the last Assembly meeting, members were largely on board. The resolution the Assembly will consider tonight spells out the specifics of the group, some of which have been tweaked since the last Assembly meeting. Three of the nine task force members will be appointed from the Sitka Tribe of Alaska, Port and Harbors Commission, and Sustainability Commission, respectively. The Assembly will also choose one member representing the Downtown Business Corridor, one representing tours and attractions, one representing business in general, a representative from the Sitka Sound Cruise Terminal, and two at-large members. In other business, the Assembly will consider two grant applications, some financial appropriations for fiscal year 23, and it will go behind closed doors in executive session to discuss four lawsuits the city is involved in. The Sitka Assembly meets tonight at 6 p.m. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. A Coast Guard helicopter crew from Air Station Sitka medevaced a fisherman from a Canadian fishing vessel just south of Dixon entrance on Friday. Around 6 p.m. on March 10th, Coast Guard watchstanders in Juneau received a call from Canadian maritime rescue personnel who reported that a crew member on the 72-foot fishing vessel Freeport needed emergency medical care. The Sitka Jayhawk arrived on the scene shortly before 8 p.m. and hoisted the 24-year-old crew member. Petty Officer First Class Allie Blackburn told KCAW that the helicopter pilot said it was a tricky maneuver.
1: You know, it just kind of speaks to these guys' ability to... Uh perform their job in hazardous conditions and and save lives. Um, they, there were cables and rigging and wind and, you know, heavy weather. So it creates a challenging hoist scenario is what he said. So um, they, they train in this type of weather all the time. They're constantly doing, uh, you know, training and they safely executed the mission. And at the end of the day, uh, just performed the way they always perform, and that was really well.
0: The Sitka crew took the fisherman to Massett, a town in British Columbia, where he was received by an emergency medical team. Weather on scene included 10-knot winds and 10-mile visibility. The Sitka school board is facing the uncomfortable possibility of cutting up to 15 teaching positions next year unless the legislature comes through with some 11th-hour funding for education across the state. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports.
2: Six of the teaching positions on the chopping block are retirements. This method of reducing the size of the workforce is the easiest, but it still creates some tough choices about where to fill vacancies, where to make some classes larger, often called the PTR or pupil-teacher ratio, or what programs to cut entirely. On top of the six retirements, another eight or so teaching positions would have to be cut if nothing changes. Currently, the district employs 27 teachers who have not completed the full two years needed to become tenured and, in anticipation of possible cuts, have not yet been issued contracts. At a special budget work session with the school board on March 9th, Superintendent Frank Hauser said that shifting the remaining untenured teachers around to fill critical roles Would not be simple.
3: Of those 27, we will potentially have to have some displacements as we look at um, making some. If the board decides to change some PTRs and um, reduce PTRs at certain schools, that could have a ripple effect and displacement of some staff. We know we have. A couple positions open at Fairmouth Elementary School. If we have to lose some teachers at Kikushiheen, then those teachers might be displaced um, to another school, depending on what their certification is.
2: This predicament, this conversation, occurs in every school district boardroom across the state this time of year, since Alaska is one of very few states that doesn't appropriate money for education until after most districts have prepared their budgets for next year. As in past legislatures, at least two bills have been introduced to increase the base student allocation, or the money that the state contributes for the education of each child in the state. For students who have special needs, that number goes up by a multiplier of 13, but the added revenue can still fall short of the money needed to cover the extra staffing for special needs students. District Special Education Director Chris Voron said that Baranoff Elementary is going to require a special needs case manager to keep up with the expected 12 special needs students in kindergarten and first grade next year. Voron said it was an unusual set of circumstances between the pandemic and other issues, creating the special needs bubble.
3: The most common areas of eligibility are speech
2: impairment or early childhood developmental delay. Those are categories in early childhood that I would say there is an increase in need that we're identifying. so, the pandemic has had an effect for, uh, for our special education needs, however I would say that that doesn't really account for everything that we're seeing. It's just these are the, these are the families, these are the students that are here currently uh, coming into kindergarten next year. We just have a, a very significant amount of students that are what we call low incidence, meaning um, Students with autism, students with medical conditions, um, students that have those higher level of needs. Sitka School Board members did not have a lot of ideas at this point, except a general willingness to use district reserves to balance the budget next year, but not all the reserves. They looked at scenarios where the state raised the base student allocation by different amounts, from $250 to $450, and even by $1,000, which many education advocates say is the minimum needed to keep up with inflation since 2016, the last time the BSA was adjusted. Any of those numbers, if they come to pass, would provide relief for the district. Sitka Assemblymember Tim Pike sat in on the work session. He's also a teacher at the high school. The uncomfortable conversation around potential teacher layoffs was familiar because it happens to some degree almost every year. He urged board members to come up with a plan and hope they don't have to use it. And I can remember previous superintendents who would say, gosh, I'm crying wolf all the time here. You know, at some point, the wolf will show up, but most of the time, and up until now, in all my time here, it's never showed up because the state does come through with money in the end. But we don't know what it is until after we've all gone through the pain and suffering of this process. The Sitka School Board's draft budget for 2024 stands at just under $24 million, $24 million. The board will finalize its budget for adoption and submission to the Sitka Assembly on April 20th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: In a nondescript office in Juneau, a team of self-described weather nerds works to predict the future. But in southeast Alaska, they're up against some major challenges. KTOO's Anna Canney has more.
1: Weather forecasting is notoriously hard to get right. No one knows that better than National Weather Service meteorologist Grant Smith. I remember
3: this very vividly because it was like, at this moment, I just like, all right, I give up. It was one time I was standing at my, my house, looking outside, and it was 34 and rainy. And I was just drinking my coffee. Later that afternoon, it was 38 and snowing. And I was like, what is, what is this? What is this? It's just a moving target.
1: Smith came to the Weather Service office in Juneau after working as a TV meteorologist in South Dakota. He says forecasting there was a little more straightforward.
3: South Dakota is mostly flat. Just because it's flatter, the range of possibilities is much smaller. And so it's just, in a sense, easier to forecast.
1: The basic components of weather forecasts are the same no matter where you are. It starts with radar and satellite imagery that show the basics of incoming weather systems. Things like what direction a front is traveling and how much precipitation it's bringing. Then weather models bring out the finer details. They basically run simple atmospheric data through equations that predict things like wind speed, dew point, and temperature. And those tools work really well in some regions. But in a place like Southeast Alaska, things are more complicated.
3: Ours is a lot more intricate in knowing, needing to know these tiny little details and microclimates that we have to deal with.
1: Basically, what's happening in the atmosphere doesn't always give a clear picture of what's happening on the ground. Weather systems interact with the terrain. And the many mountains and waterways of Southeast Alaska make things hard. Take Huna and Gustavus. They're fairly close to each other, but the same wind pattern can cause very different weather in each place. So you have a north
3: wind. So north wind for Gustavus is coming off of land, probably gonna be cold, probably gonna be snow. But a north wind over Hunas coming off of
1: water, rain
3: rain-snow mix or rain.
1: Those differences define microclimates in Southeast. They're small areas where the climate patterns differ from the rest of the region, and even Juneau has a handful of distinct microclimates. On a winter day, storm clouds coming in off the ocean can hit Douglas Island and dump rain in downtown Juneau. But if you drive out to the valley, in the shadow of Mendenhall Glacier, you might encounter fresh white snow instead. Meteorologist Nicole Farron says the models predict weather conditions for areas that are just three square kilometers. But even in that small grid, Juno's terrain can change from land to ocean to high mountain peaks. The majority of this box is a mountain and the, mod- the models think that that is a mountain point. They don't know that Home Depot is right there. But I do. So on the forecast map, she'll edit weather conditions by hand. It's not just microclimates. Southeast Alaska is also a huge region. Our
3: area is about the size of Florida. And Florida has six or seven offices. And we have one.
1: And not all the meteorologists have a chance to visit the many small communities they forecast for. So they turn to the people that live there.
3: People that are weather nerds like the rest of us here in the building. And they like weather, so they report on it.
1: They can tell meteorologists what will happen on the ground when a weather system moves over the land. If a front passes over Gustavus, for instance, local observers have an idea of what's going to happen in Juneau. In most cases, forecasters make their decision with an abundance of caution, especially when making storm advisories and warnings. They make the forecast for safety purposes, so they're bound to overpredict. But Smith says an accurate forecast in a place like Southeast is a unique rush. It makes it
3: kind of more of a challenge more fun when you, when you can nail
1: it and when you get it right. And he says the people of Southeast are uniquely forgiving, too. In Juno, I'm Anna Canny. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has
0: been Raven News.